0: Welcome to Living Water Radio. Have you ever thought that if God would give you a really clear sign, your faith would be really strong? Today, we're going to find out why that probably would not be the case. My name is Pastor David Birkenall. My wife, Rev. Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister actively focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today I'm filling in temporarily for pastors in the Los Angeles area, maintaining our yard as my gym, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin Chinese. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. We've had some pretty terrible weather this past week. We were told it was coming. We were told to avoid traveling in it if possible. We were told not to try to drive through flooded areas, yet we saw flooded out and stalled cars throughout the storm. Why? I saw a roadside banner online once that said, this year thousands of men will die from stubbornness, and under it someone had spray-painted, no, we won't. Have you ever gotten into a discussion that got so heated that you knew you were wrong, but you felt like you'd backed yourself into a corner and you couldn't get out of it? I wonder if that's the way that Peter felt at the end of Mark 8, verses 27 to 38. One day, Jesus was walking along with his disciples when he asked them, Who do people say that I am? His disciples answered with some popular theories. Then Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter said out loud what many had been thinking and hoping, but no one had had the nerve to say, You are the Messiah. Jesus was the anointed deliverer that God's people, the Jews, had been waiting for for around a thousand years. No one wanted to say it. They didn't want to get their hopes up by admitting it. But now there it was, and Jesus told the disciples not to tell anyone about him. Then Jesus told them that he would suffer and be rejected by the Jewish authorities and be killed and after three days rise again. Peter was shocked and he took Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus for saying this. And Jesus seriously rebuked Peter and told Peter that he was missing the big picture. Then Jesus told the crowd with his disciples that sacrifice was central to being a follower of Jesus and that if they were ashamed of him, he would be ashamed of them when he returned in the glory of his father with his holy angels. And he said, truly I tell you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. So, if you were Peter, how would you be feeling? Betrayed? Confused? Angry? Would you double down or wait and see what happened next? If you were Jesus, what would you do? Six days later, Jesus takes Peter and two of his disciples to a mountaintop that gave them a vision of eternity. Six days is how Genesis describes God's creation of everything that exists. God created it out of nothing. Something good was about to happen again after six days. We and Peter and James and John were going to get a clear sign from God. Would it make their faith strong? Did it make ours? Let's see. Six days later, this happened in the reading from the Gospels that will be shared in the vast majority of churches in the world this coming Sunday, Mark 9, 2-9. It begins with verses 2-3. to 3. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark is the shortest and simplest of the four Gospels. It uses the most basic vocabulary in its original language. It has the most common touch, as in this detail not found in any of the others, where what impressed Mark was not that Jesus' face shone like the sun, but that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, like in the laundry commercials, only more dazzling than anyone on earth could bleach them. Jesus shows Peter and James who he is in his heavenly glory. He is transfigured before them. And while they are still trying to process this, he reveals to them who he is in his earthly mission in Mark 9, 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Moses was the person through whom God gave the religious law that defined the life of God's people. Elijah was the great prophet, a person through whom God spoke to God's people. Together, they represented the law and the prophets, a.k.a. what were then known as the scriptures, and are known to us today as the Old Testament. And though long dead, they are talking with Jesus. Then Peter speaks up again. Maybe Peter thinks that this is his chance to make up for his previous embarrassment, but things don't quite work out that way in Mark 9, verses 5 through 7. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Peter, who we already know is often the impulsive one, seems to be still trying to figure out what this all means. He proposes that the three disciples build a housing development, three dwellings for Moses and Elijah and for Jesus. He wants to keep them there. He wants to preserve the moment. He's like people who hold their phones up to record a concert or some other life event, but who aren't really present in that moment. They remove themselves from it. Jesus wants the disciples to experience the message, but in their defense, they may have just been scared. The disciples knew their Bible, and they knew that people don't just enter into the divine presence of God and live. Then, before Jesus can respond to them, we see the meaning of the transfiguration in verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Only Jesus. The law and the prophets were not there. Only Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Only Jesus. The disciples were having a mountaintop experience. They had been told that Jesus was going to suffer and die at the end of the previous chapter in Mark 8. Now they were being given the big picture of what it all meant. That's what mountaintop experiences do. The traditional site for the Transfiguration is Mount Tabor, about nine miles from Nazareth. It's not much of a mountain, but it stands out on the plain near Nazareth. I climbed it when I was a student on a semester abroad in college, and it's no big deal. I climbed it in the rain, though, and when I got to the top, the Greek Orthodox monastery there was not taking in tourists, so I climbed down in the rain. I did not have a mountaintop experience. The disciples did have a mountaintop experience, and then Jesus makes a very strange request. No, he gives them an order in Mark 9.9. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Not only does Jesus not want to let the disciples stay on the mountaintop, Not only does He not want them to bask in God's affirmation of Jesus, Jesus does not want the disciples to tell anyone about what had to be the greatest experience in their lives. Why? Why not have them tell everyone about this experience? Wouldn't it validate who Jesus was? Wouldn't it make His path easier and theirs? No. That's not how faith works. It's not built upon signs. The three disciples couldn't have received a clearer sign from God, and yet their faith was not made strong. They never seemed to get the point when Jesus was teaching. Every one of them denied that they even knew Jesus at the end, and Peter denied him three times. Jesus did lots of miracles, and he had thousands of followers when he was providing free food and medical care. But what happened to them when it all stopped? Those who witnessed miracles did not have a stronger faith. Jesus' church growth graph dropped to zero. I read a story once about a preacher who had delivered a sermon on the struggle of serving God and the world in the army of the Lord. Afterward, a man came out of the worship space to shake the preacher's hand and said, I, too, have served here for many years in the army of the Lord. The preacher said, Really? I don't remember seeing you at worship before or in any of our community activities or ministries. The man leaned forward and whispered, I'm in the secret service. Don't be that guy. We are not spies. We are ambassadors. There is no secret for us to keep. We live on the after side of until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We live mostly in the valleys of life, where we are called, equipped, and sent to serve, where things change and grow and are transformed. We live to proclaim Jesus, crucified, risen, and coming again. We proclaim a life of faith. Faith didn't completely come to the Disciples until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people and they had not tasted death when, as Jesus had promised at the end of Mark 8, they saw that the kingdom of God had come with power. Remember when in Luke 16, 19-31, the rich man was in Hades and Lazarus, the homeless guy who had lived at his gate, was at the side of Abraham, and the rich guy asked Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his brothers about Hades? Abraham replied, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. We encounter the one true living God through the Bible by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Faith comes through hearing the Word of God. It transforms our lives. We change and we grow. The whole Bible is Spirit-filled, and we are filled with that same Spirit that comes through the encounter with the living, transformative presence of God in reading the Bible. Do you plan to watch the Super Bowl this Sunday? When you watch football, do you yell at the screen, A penalty! That's not a penalty! Or, It's a run play! A run to the right! It's easy to know what's going on when you're not on the field. Do you watch the game show Jeopardy? Do you ever find that you know the answer to a question and none of the contestants do, so you're yelling at the screen, Spore! It's Spore! (laughs) Every question is easy when you know the answer. But you know that they can't hear you, right? So why do we do it? because we can't believe that the people we see don't know what we know. The same is true of the Christian faith. God doesn't keep us on the mountaintop. God sends us into the world, because there are increasing numbers of people who don't know what we do. One of the members of the church I served in San Dimas led the American expedition to climb Mount Everest in the early 90s. His wife did the logistics. It took a year of paying fees to various officials and agreeing to carry out some of the trash left by previous expeditions before they got approval. They trained at a base camp with their team, and then they made the climb. Late on the final night, they were within a thousand meters of the top. Everyone on the team was exhausted and or sick, and they were almost out of oxygen but they were close to their goal and only one man had to reach the summit for it to be considered a successful expedition. So one man agreed to strike out to make it to the top and our member kept in contact with him by radio. The climber reported that he could take a step and then he would have to rest for several minutes before the next step. But he kept going like this until he reported that he was almost out of oxygen. He called to ask what he should do. Should he keep going or should he come back and climb down the mountain with the team? If our member told him to keep going, he might make it or he might die. If he told him to come back, his mission would be a failure within a thousand meters of the summit. What do you think you would do? Our member told him to come back. He sacrificed his goal for the sake of a human life. Jesus gives us a vision of his heavenly glory and his earthly mission on the mountain of the Transfiguration. He took Peter and James and John and climbed down that mountain, and he died on the cross. To the world, Jesus' mission was a failure. But to God, Jesus, fully God and fully human being, sacrificed his own life for the sake of the world, to restore the living relationship with the one true living God for which we were created. Jesus saved the world. That is what we proclaim because we see what the world doesn't see, because we know what the world doesn't know, and because we have received the gift that God offers to all people. It's Jesus, only Jesus. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at all, and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and the church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly, avoid crowds if you can, and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with. Everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.